This morning, I want to look at probably the most popular or well-known verse of Scripture in the Bible, and probably are all guessing it correctly, and that's John 3.16. I don't know that I've preached on John 3.16 in a long time. I spoke on it a little bit before I was ordained here at Bethlehem, and I've been going through a series of the basics of what the primitive Baptists believe, and I told you at the end of that series that I wanted to look at some verses that you may find in discussing uh, the doctrine of primitive Baptists with people. They may say, well, what about this verse? And I remember the first time that I spoke on John 3.16, I used this analogy, this picture. I don't know, I'm sure everybody in here has put something together at some point, a bicycle, uh, you know, a toy of some sort or something that you purchased, whatever. I can remember one time that I had, I purchased a tree stand, a ladder stand. And it comes in a, you know, a box and it's got a jillion pieces to it and all that stuff. And it's got directions and, you know, you kind of halfway try to follow those. I remember when I got it, when I, when I was finished with it, I had three pieces that had not been used. And I thought to myself, this can't be good. You know, they, they, these have to go somewhere. And so I go back to the instructions, end up taking it all apart and going back through it. And, and the purpose of that analogy back then was to say that this thing that came to me in a box, it's a, it is a whole thing. It, it, is a, it is one piece that must be assembled, but every piece, every part must go in the right spot for it to work correctly. You can't just take, you know, this arm out or, you know, these bolts out. It would be incomplete. The Bible is very much like that in that every part of the Bible must fit and harmonize and go together with what you believe. You cannot say, I believe this, but in order for me to believe this, I've got to take these a handful of scriptures and just kind of ignore them or mark through them. And, and listen, we can't kid ourselves. We as humans, as fallen humans, are masters. We are masters at ignoring what does not harmonize with what we feel, think, or believe. We're very, very good at it. And so somebody will, may come up to you someday as you discuss the primitive Baptist doctrine and say, well, look, you've got a piece laying over here that doesn't fit. It doesn't have anywhere to go. The Bible speaks about that the scripture cannot be broken. That is the Bible way of saying every piece has to harmonize with another. And so they'll say, hey, look over here. We've got John 3.16. And brother, you've got a missing piece in your belief, so you need to change your belief. And listen, I appreciate that. I appreciate the, hey, you need to harmonize this. And I've often said before, you don't really prove what you believe by giving verses to support it. You prove what you believe by harmonizing the verses that seem to contradict it. And so John 3.16 is one of those verses for the primitive Baptist. But I want to look at it today, and really it is a very simple verse to harmonize, okay, with, with what we believe. But listen, if... If you've been given a scripture and you've been told that this scripture means this for a long period of time 
and your own feelings or preconceived notions, notions seem to support that, it's very hard for it to say anything other than what you've heard your whole life. We're all, we're, we're all that way. That is not a, uh, I'm not saying that negatively against people. I'm just saying that's human nature. But if you really took John 3.16 and you just looked at it and kind of broke it down and compared it to the other verses in the Bible, you will find that it's very clear in what it's saying. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, if, I read, if you had very little knowledge of the Bible, and I read that verse to you, and I said, what this verse is saying is that God loved the world, every single person in the world, so much that He sent His only Son his only begotten son, that whosoever will believe in him wouldn't perish, but will end his days with eternal life. That would be very easy for me to convince you that that's what that means. So there are two positions really here that I want to look at. One is that position that says this is an invitation. This is a message of, listen, God loved the world so much that if he set up a system of salvation, that if you will just believe, the end result of that belief will be being born again and having eternal life. Now, there's another position that the primitive Baptists take, and it is this, that belief is an evidence that you are already in possession of that new birth and already are in possession of having eternal life. Now, the question is, which one of those is true? And if you look beyond John 3.16 at the other verses in the Bible that talk about belief, that talk about being born again, it's very easy to come to the conclusion that belief is an evidence of being born again, not a means to obtain eternal life. So let's look at that for just a second. If you look very simply at the verse here, it says this, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth. Now, a very simple way to look at this is if you look at the definition of believeth there, that means someone that is in a current state of believing. I've heard it explained this way before. If you come to my door and you knock on the door and you say, Is Luke here? And Tiffany answers the door and says, Yes, he is, but he sleepeth. You don't think that I'm going to be sleeping in the future or if I will just go to sleep, you believe that he is sleeping right now. Whosoever believeth is speaking about somebody that is already in a current state of believing. And it says, whoever is in a current state of believing should not perish, but have. Have is something that shows Current ownership, current possession. I have a phone. I have a Bible. I have a recorder. I have those things. I'm already, I'm already in possession of those things. So it says, whosoever is in a current state of believing should not perish, but is already in possession of everlasting life. The very verb tenses of John 3.16 won't let you have that any other way. But I'm not going to leave it just at that. Let's look at three other places in the Bible 
and try to answer the question, which comes first? Does belief come first and then in exchange for that belief, you receive eternal life? Or does the new birth and eternal life come first and an evidence of having that that you believe? Let's look at three different verses. Don't even, probably don't even have to turn a page. Let's look at John 3, 36. And it says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Now, is that difficult? He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. That is saying whosoever is in a current state of believing is already in possession of eternal life. So, does the eternal life come first or did the belief come first? It sounds to me like that verse. It says that if you believe, that is an evidence that you have already been given eternal life. Let's look at one more. Flip over to 1 John for a second. And I know I'm going quick. But to dissect John 3.16 in 25 minutes, you got to move a little fast. 1 John 5.1. Notice this. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. It does not say whosoever will believe that Jesus is the Christ will be born of God. This is a clear verse that says wherever you find somebody believing, you find somebody that already has been born of God. You find somebody like John 3.36. When you find somebody that believeth on the Son, they already have everlasting life. So, is belief a means to get everlasting life? Or is belief an evidence of already having? I feel like those two scriptures are very clear. That belief is an evidence. And if that's not enough, I mean, if you're looking for a slam dunk verse, if you'll flip over to Acts the 13th chapter for just a second. In Acts the 13th chapter, what you find is Paul has been preaching to the Jews and they reject it. And so it says... When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, and thou shouldest be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now listen. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And here's what I want. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. That scripture is crystal clear that there are people over here that the Bible describes as being ordained to eternal life and as a result of those things, belief was the evidence. That's three different places in the Bible that clearly teach us that belief is not a means to get, but an evidence of. But I want to look just a little further into this. For God so loved the world. Now, let's try to reconcile that. For God so loved the world. How does that compare 
If I flip over here for just a second, 1 John 2.15. For God so loved the world. How does that fit with John's instruction to love not the world? Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In the book of James, it says in the fourth chapter, in the fourth, fourth verse, it says, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now think about that. For God so loved the world, but yet over here it says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Well, those don't make sense. Those contradict one another, right? The conclusion that we can come to is the word world has many different definitions. Think about the world of sports, the world of finance, the world of fashion, the world of this, the world of that, whatever. And we do that in our own language, you know, if we're talking and you hear somebody say, he has a turkey. Most of you picture, oh, he's got a pet turkey out back, you know, that runs around and gobbles and all that kind of stuff. Right? But what if we're in the bowling alley and I say, he has a turkey. You know what a turkey is? A turkey is any time that you roll three strikes in a row, that's called a turkey. Well, one's a, a, you know, one of our feathered friends that gobbles his head off and one is a bowling term. But it's the same word. World is the same way. And as a matter of fact, the word world here has eight different definitions that go to it as it applies to John 3.16 here. Eight different definitions. The world that he's talking about in John 3.16 is not the same definition of the world he's talking about in James and 1 John. They're two different worlds. One of the worlds, it means the entire created universe. One of the definitions of world, it means all of a specific set. Another definition of uh, world means all of mankind. Well, how do you know which, one, which world John 3.16 is talking about? Well, here's a clue. We know it's not the whole created world and the, and the sinful beings in the world. We know that that's not it. We also know that the Bible tells us over in the book of Malachi and the book of Romans that he hated Esau. Now, does that sting a little bit? Listen, are we going to let the Bible say what the Bible says? The Bible says, for Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Is it all of, every, all of mankind or is it all of a specific set? When we look at the word world there, if you have in mind that that is every single person in the entire world, I encourage you to read through the Bible and try to reconcile the places where it talks about Esau. That's something we've got to do as God's children. And I'm not afraid to stand up here and say those things because I'm standing behind the Lord and behind his word when I tell you those things. Let's look at one more here. In Ephesians, the second chapter, when I'm, when I'm asking you to consider, is belief a means to get eternal life or an evidence of? If belief is a means to get eternal life, we know based on Ephesians, the second chapter, that belief cannot be a work. Belief cannot be a work because Ephesians 2 tells us that we're, we are not saved by works. We're saved by grace, not by works. 
So anything that you say is required, has to happen in order to, to be saved, we cannot classify as it a work. So as a work. So is belief a work? Let's look over at 1 John in the third chapter. And it says this in the 23rd verse. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. If God commands us to do something, that is his law. That, that is what he is telling us. This is what you are supposed to do. But what does the Bible say in Romans, the third chapter, that no man shall be justified in his sight by the law. We cannot stand before the Lord and say, you commanded me to believe. I obeyed that belief. Now I should be able to stand justified in front of you. Because it says here that that belief is something he commands us to do. And when the, when the Bible talks about he, belief, it's a verb. It's an action. It's something we make a conscious effort to do. Belief is tough. Belief is hard. And I've told you this before. Have you ever tried to sit down and figure out what, what is true when the politicians are talking? You're trying to figure out what you want to believe. And it's not always easy. It's difficult. Sometimes we have anguish over it. It's not just a simple, oh, I believe. Even if it was that simple, it's still following God's commandment and God's law. And the Bible says it is not by the law that we are justified in his sight. Now, when we go back to John, and that's a whirlwind. I know that's a whirlwind of stuff, and this will be on our podcast. You can, you can go back through and write some of these verses down. Reconcile it for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but I have tried to show you from a biblical standpoint how we should handle John 3.16. The Bible says that we are to rightly divide the word of truth. That means we are to take a verse, break it down, look at the meanings of the word, look at where it's talked about in other places. And when you have a tree stand that has three parts left out of it, you have something that is incomplete and in error. And when you have a belief or a doctrine that doesn't take the full counsel of God and make sure that it harmonizes and fit together, you have an incomplete doctrine or a wrong doctrine. It's something we need to look at. And I understand that, you know, modern modern day times, this is not a popular thing. But this is I have not read to you out of out of, you know, Luke's gospel, my book. I've read to you out of God's book. And if God books tell me that whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, when I go off in a far country somewhere and I run across somebody that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I can say he is born of God. Even if he hasn't been baptized, even if he hasn't confessed, even if he hasn't fallen down on his face and submitted, if he believes that Jesus is the Christ, he is born of God. Now, what does he need? Discipleship. What does he need? He needs to be taught what the Lord expects of him as a born-again child of God. That's the purpose of the gospel, to bring life and immortality to light, is it not? That's what 2 Timothy tells us. So when you read John 3.16, or when somebody comes up to you and says, okay, uh, Mr. Primitive Baptist, how does John 3.16 fit into what you believe? Well, it fits perfectly. It fits perfectly. Because we've been saying all along, down through the centuries since the time of Christ, that belief is an evidence that you already have been born again. If it's perfectly with, as a matter of fact, let's talk about John 3.16. 
Let me show you John 3.36. Let me show you 1 John 5.1. Acts 13.48. Ephesians 2.8.9. Let me show you all these things. And let's shine a little more light on what John 3.16 is actually saying. Amen. And it is a wonderful verse. Because there's times we may look at our own works and our own mind and we realize we're sinners and it may condemn us. Our own heart may condemn us. And say, what, what, what is the song? It says, I am so vile, so prone to sin, I fear that I'm not born again. Well, brothers and sisters, I don't want to look at my works necessarily to justify whether I, in my own mind, whether I'm a child of God or not. I can always go back to my belief based on what John 3.16 tells us.